Wouldn't it be nice if when you became a Christian, all the concepts that are a little hard to process and the things that you might have trouble with internalizing and and processing, if all that just made sense and you never had to struggle with anything at all and anything in the Word just made sense every time and you applied it without any difficulty, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great? Unfortunately, that's not always the reality, and that's not always the case. And there are often things all through the Christian life that you, you read and you know is true from God's Word, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily just easy to completely understand it all or to completely internalize it all without any struggle, without any tension. That's just not the case. And for me, growing up, Many people didn't realize this, but throughout a lot of my life, I struggled with being secure in my salvation. I came to Christ at an early age, young age, and I was in a very godly home, very biblical home, and uh, I knew the right answers, I knew uh, several of the major concepts and themes throughout the Bible at a very early age. I was in the Christian school here at Greater Beckley. And so, you know, I knew intellectually all about salvation and what that meant, what it meant to be saved. I knew that, and I even, I even applied that at an early age to my life. But throughout the early years and into my teens, uh, into my late teens, even into college at ABC, I struggled periodically and sometimes intensely, with knowing 100% for sure that I was in Christ and that that wasn't going to change. You know, I struggled with eternal security. I struggled emotionally, sometimes to the point of very real depression, about how I could know that nothing could take me out of being in Christ. And maybe maybe that's someone here today. Maybe you, like I did, thankfully I can use that in the past tense. Thankfully that's not something that I struggle with currently and and have not for many years by God's grace. But maybe someone here today, maybe one of you, can identify with that struggle. You would say, well, yeah, that's, that's me. You just described me completely. And maybe for some of you, it's not in the past tense. Maybe that's not something that you can say, I did struggle with. Maybe that's something that you would have to be honest and say, I do struggle with that. That I I have a really hard time making sense out of the security that's promised in the Bible. Maybe maybe I recognize it in my head, but in my heart I just I haven't been able to, to be rooted there. And I struggle with that. I'm up and down with that. Maybe that's you. And maybe you're restless, and maybe sometimes you are like I experienced full of even depression as you process those feelings and and you have trouble reconciling what you see in the Word and what you feel in your heart and your emotional response to it. Last week, as we began this series, Erased, we talked about the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of Truth. And we talked about how important that is individually and as a church because we need divine discernment. And we said that we have that ability to discern between what is false and what is right. We have the ability to know truth and to be set free by that truth. And that the spirit of truth isn't just around us 
to the side, as it were, but he is actually in us, dwelling in us. And so we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and therefore the temple of truth, really. And as important as that is, what we're going to be talking about today is also incredibly important to understand and to believe and to apply to your life. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, there's His divinity on display, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now there's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit frees us from, and, and there's a lot of examples of freedom that He provides, but the freedom that I really want us to focus on this morning together is the freedom that comes from knowing that the Holy Spirit secures our salvation. The Holy Spirit secures our salvation. The security that you and I can have and should have in our salvation, if we have come to Jesus Christ recognizing who He is, surrendering all that we are before all that He is, and receiving Him as our Lord and Savior, We have the ability to have security in that salvation. And that security is not tied to any pastor. It's not tied to any personal experience that you may or may not have. It's not tied to emotional ups and downs. The security of your salvation and my salvation is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's an incredible thought. And it's an encouraging thought. It's one that we need to believe and to embrace. And we see evidence of this through the picture of physical life. And in the Bible, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we see the Holy Spirit at work. We see Him participating in creation along with the Father and the Son. And Genesis 2, verse 7, says this, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. This breath of life, we we can actually safely connect with the very person of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that was this divine breath that gave life to man. He was very involved at the beginning. And he gave physical life to man. So what that means is the Holy Spirit gave life to man at creation. He gave life to man at creation. And it's not limited to just the creation experience. It's not in the same way. uh, But God giving life to man was not limited to the garden and to Adam. Everyone owes their life to God. Whether they acknowledge that or not. Whether someone places the the appropriate honor to God for the life they have in them, whether they acknowledge that the very breath they are breathing is from God or not, it doesn't take away from the fact that it is, that our very breath is owed to God. Job 33.4 says this, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has made me, and the breath of the Almighty, connect that with Genesis 2.7, the breath that gave Adam life, the breath of the Almighty gives in the present tense, gives me life. And that that physical reality at the garden, 
And in us, even right now, the very fact that you and I are breathing and living, owing that to the very presence of God, the very gift of God, the Spirit of God, that physical reality of life, physical life, serves as a picture of an even deeper spiritual reality for how new life is given in Christ. John 1, 11-13 tells us this, He, speaking of Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, through the Holy Spirit. In John 6, 63, Jesus says, The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So not only did the Holy Spirit give life to man at creation and continues to do that through physical birth, but he gives life to man at salvation. And this is, of course, the deeper life. The Holy Spirit gives life to man at salvation. And the, the physical reality serves as a picture of the spiritual reality. The truth of God's involvement in physical life is a picture of the truth of his involvement in our spiritual life. But not only is he the source of, of life, both physical and spiritual, he is the source of resurrection. He is the source of resurrection. We sang the opening song, Awake My Soul, and the scripture that we're going to look at next is directly in that song. So I love that song because it, it communicates what is so true for all of us and what is so vital, what is so necessary, which is to be raised from death into life. Look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10 And we'll see that he, the Holy Spirit, is very much the source of resurrection. The immediate direct context right here is the restoration of Israel in this passage. That's the direct context. It's the restoration of Israel from judgment. But it certainly applies to what the Spirit does at the moment of salvation in each of us. Here's what the Bible says there. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Spirit, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them, and there were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. And he said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And this is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. This reminds me of John's vision in Revelation 7, where he looked and he saw a great multitude that no one could number, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing redeemed in praise before God. That's going to happen. There will be a day when before the throne of God and before the throne of the Lamb, there will be a vast multitude that no one can count from every people group, every language, every culture, and they will all give praise to the Lamb of God who gave them salvation. But it is the Spirit of God who applies that salvation. The very fact that there will be a multitude in heaven is because the Spirit of God made a multitude alive. And the event in Ezekiel's vision, listen, The event that we just read there, while again, the immediate context was for Israel, the event there described that vision, its spiritual reality for every single believer. Every single believer. Every salvation is a miracle. Every salvation is a miracle. We're not just talking about, for those of you who are video game players... We're not just talking about like leveling up. You know, we're not just talking about an upgrade. There's a lot of games where that's the goal. You know, you're, you're to level up and you're to upgrade your character or, or whatever to progress through the game. That's not what salvation is. But so often that's how we view it or that's how we treat it. Or that's how we relate to it. As if it's just kind of this leveling up of something that's already basically good. That's not salvation. That's not what the Spirit of God does. He doesn't just come alongside you and me, something that's already basically good and already basically containing value and purpose, and He just kind of gives us an upgrade so we can go on to the next level. That's not it at all. Every salvation is a miracle, and every salvation is a resurrection from the dead. That's what every salvation is, and that's what every act of God in the believer is the Holy Spirit raises the dead to life and it doesn't matter if you were saved later in life and experienced this powerful deliverance from a life of extreme evil and sin maybe that's you that might be some of you that might be some of your story that you lived in in total darkness most of your life in in rebellion You did things that are maybe too shameful even to speak about. Maybe that's you. And then you you came to Christ and it was just this amazing, very physical display of change in you. It was like a switch. Maybe that's you. Praise God for that. But, But listen to me. It doesn't matter if that's your story or if you came to Christ at an early age while still being sheltered in a godly home. It doesn't matter because every salvation is an example of resurrection. Because everyone in need of salvation is spiritually dead. They are, as was in this vision with Ezekiel, they are a valley of dry bones. 
That's what mankind is. From the garden on, every human being is a spiritual corpse. There's no value that we bring before God. You know, I mean, a a dead body cannot contribute to living society, can it? No. I mean, we, you know, the, the, the corpse has no purpose whatsoever left in it. It's, it's meaningless. It's valueless. We can't contribute anything. And that's how we are before God apart from Christ. Outside of the Holy Spirit. We are a rotting, decaying corpse. And yet God, yet God, in all of His love and His mercy, which doesn't make any sense logically, all of which is undeserved, looked down at this mass of dry bones and said, I'm going to make them come alive. I'm going to send my son to redeem them. And in my son's name, they will have the spirit of God that gives them life. And I'll raise them up and they will be a vast army. That's what God does at salvation. And what we see in Ezekiel and that vision, it very much is spiritual reality for each of us who come to Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 serves as a great parallel and and further shows how real this is. It's not something that was just limited to a vision. It's what absolutely takes place in each of us as we come to Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to believers, to the church. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's what we were. That was our state. That is the lot of every human being in life. Verse 4, but God. But God. Isn't that beautiful? that beautiful? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, not because we had value, because we brought something to the table that he just needed, not any of that. No, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He didn't wait for us to get better. He knew that wouldn't happen. He knew that couldn't happen. When we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Maybe you didn't hear me. When we were dead, he made us alive with Christ. Something to be excited about, just a little bit. And not only did he make us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And here's what he did. He didn't just make us alive. He raised us up with 
him with Christ as Christ rose from the dead and was given the position of honor and esteem and glory all over creation. He raised us up, God the Father through the Spirit, raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means, church, when the Father looks down at you and me, He doesn't see our sin-prone flesh. He doesn't see the failure before Him that we failed in Him in uh, the millionth time. He doesn't see our selfishness and our, our total stupidity in choosing sin over and over. He doesn't see that. He sees us seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's our position Through Christ, while we are still here on this earth and still in this skin that is so full of sin, thankfully, beautifully, amazingly, that is not our full reality. Our full reality is clothed in the very righteousness of the Son of God and seated with Him. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes all that possible. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And that's currently... While you live physically, that means we're given supernatural life and supernatural power and supernatural strength while we live and move and breathe. But it goes beyond that. And the promise is that after we draw our last breath here, we will very much be alive fully and forever in the life beyond. All because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, also gives life to our mortal bodies. It's incredible. So the spirit of life, not only does he give life to man at the beginning at creation and then ongoing, continued, but he gives life to man at salvation, true and abundant and unending life. The result of that, the evidence of that is spiritual resurrection because we were all dead. And because of all of that, Because all of that is true, because all of that is reality, what that means then is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, frees us from the fear, which is centered really around the loss of salvation for our purposes today. That's what we're talking about, knowing that you are secure in your salvation, not needing to fear losing that. He frees us from fear and judgment. Because of all that we just talked about, because all that's true, this is true. That the Holy Spirit actively, moment by moment, provides freedom from fear. From all sorts of fear, but especially from the fear of losing that which he keeps secure. Our very salvation. And with that, because of that, we also have no need to fear judgment and condemnation. That condemnation, that judgment that that so often comes at us. It comes from our enemy who speaks condemnation and judgment over us and it comes from ourselves too. We do a pretty good job of also condemning ourselves. But I want you to look at Romans 8 verses 1 through 2 to begin. Romans 8, 1 through 2. Here's what the Bible says there. There is therefore now 
no condemnation. I'm going to read that again and you tell me that part. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's why. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life, another title for the Holy Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Not in yourself so that you can just live for yourself. He has set you free in Christ Jesus so that you can live for Him. He's set you free from, here's what it says, from the law of sin and death. See, before Christ and apart from Christ, outside of Him, we are under a very powerful law. It's the law of sin and death. And and that law is powerful because sin is powerful. And sin gives death its power. So we're under that incredible crushing law, the law of sin and death. And we have no ability in ourselves, no matter how we might try or how we might want to get out from under that law, we have no ability to do so. We cannot help but obey that law, that law of sin and that law of death. And we will every time. We will always, always, always choose sin continually, endlessly, apart from or outside of Christ. But when we come to Christ, when the Spirit of God draws us to salvation, when the Spirit of God draws us to the Father, and He draws us to the reality and the power of the gospel, and when He awakens our heart and we receive that gospel, He frees us from that law. He takes us out from that law of sin and death, and He takes us under the law of the Spirit where life and freedom is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's the reality that is available to each and every one of you. By grace, by love, by mercy. And here's, here's what else the Bible says. Knowing that and, and internalizing that leads to this next reality. Romans eight fifteen through 16 that says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear... But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That literally means Papa. That means through the Spirit of God, He enables you and me, us, these these weak examples of flesh and humanity that that was in constant rebellion against God. He enables us to address the almighty God of the universe as Papa. A term of absolute affection and endearment. When Jesus, while he was alive and ministering and speaking, you know, he would refer to Yahweh, he would refer to him as my father in the possessive. You know, my very own father is what he would say. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they about had a heart attack every time. And they would try to stone him every time. Why? Because they knew what he was saying. They're saying, what the Father is, I am as well. He is God, I am God. And I know him in in a way that no one else can know. I know him in in a personal, intimate way. I know him as Papa. And it was just too much. But when Jesus was getting ready to leave his followers, his disciples, and he said, now I'm going to the cross, I'm purchasing your salvation. 
And after I rise from the dead, I'm going to go to my father and your father. He said, through me, you can now know God like I know him. Through me, you can now be known by him as he knows me. And the way that happens, the way that that takes place is through the Spirit of God. Because he brings us this adoption. He is the Spirit of adoption. And it is by means of him that we are able to say to God, Papa, Daddy. And that's not disrespectful. It's not irreverent. It's it's what he invites us to call him. While at the same time, little disclaimer, while at the same time knowing who you are addressing as Papa is still the sovereign over all the universe. So we do need to keep that in mind. But nonetheless, that's what we're invited to know him as and to address him as. Verse 16 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what this means, church, all this, all this means that it, it, this goes beyond a feeling. This goes far beyond a feeling. You know, just like the Boston song, More Than a Feeling. You know, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. You're safe. You all know what I'm talking about, though, right? Brad knows what I'm talking about. It's a good song, right, right Brad? Okay. This goes beyond a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It's not about how I may be feeling. There are times when you may not feel saved. You know what I'm talking about? There are times where you may not feel it emotionally. You, you may feel like you're, you're just so down and you may feel far from God in a way that your feeling isn't really that different from anyone who is not saved. There are times where that may be true. You may not feel secure, but here's the thing. It's not tied to that. Your security before God, your your security in salvation, it's not tied to how you may or may not be feeling. Our salvation is secure because it's the Spirit of God who brought it about and maintains it. See, it's, it's up to Him. It's because of Him. And because of Christ, it's possible for us to be adopted by the Father when we trust in Christ and His work. And when that happens, the Spirit fully, fully applies that divine adoption. Fully applies it. Not partially, fully. You know, uh, I am adopted. And uh, my, my parents um, selected me <laughs> when, I was, when I was only three days old. So they're the only parents I've ever known, literally. And when they told me that I was adopted, when they sat me down and had that talk, um, at first, it was like, huh, so that means I wasn't born from mom. I was born from someone else. And so then I had this, I had this fear. And it was kind of twofold. One, I had a fear that maybe my biological mother would, and, and, and whoever would come and, and get me. Like they'd take me away. You know, they'd reclaim me. The other fear I had was that if I were bad enough, and this was maybe a justified fear, um, if I was bad enough that maybe, just maybe, my parents might send me back. You know, refund, refund. And so I had this fear for a while and I struggled with it. 
But my dad, one, one day, he sat me down. And I mean, I, I was very little, but I still remember this vividly. He sat me down with tears in his eyes. And he said, Chris, you never have to be afraid that they will come and get you because there is no way on earth that we would ever let that happen. You're ours. And he, would, he then said, and there is no way that anything you could ever say or do to me and your mom or anyone else that would ever make us love you any less or would ever make us look at you as anything other than our very own son. And then, then my dad connected that to the picture of what we see here. And I've never forgotten it. And so every time I've read this passage, as one who is adopted, it, it takes on this, this more powerful um, impact. You know, it, it takes on this more, more beautiful display to me as one who is adopted. Because all of us, all of us, had in, in no way, shape, or form anything that would make us worthy of being brought into the family of God. We were by nature children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all in open rebellion against the Creator. But God, who is rich in mercy, loved us with a love that is totally indescribable and said, I value you and love you so much, though all that is being exhibited in your life is true, though all that is there, I still love you so much that I'm going to send my son to pay the penalty for your rebellion, for your sin. He's going to make the way possible for you to come alive. And the very spirit of God, my spirit, is going to make you alive and raise you up with my son who sacrificed himself for you. And not only that, but I'm going to adopt you into my very own family. And no one is going to be able to snatch you out of my hand. No one's going to be able to take away that status as adopted. The enemy is not going to be able to reclaim you and no, nothing you can do or say will ever make me regret having you as my own. That's why our God is so great. And as a result of that, here's what Paul has to say because of all that being true. And here's what I hope that you will embrace that you will internalize and that you will then externalize so that everyone can see this hope that you have. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in knowing you are secure, knowing you're adopted and that's not going to change. May he fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound, thrive in hope. So when the enemy whispers into your mind, how in the world can you think of yourself as saved? There's no way you can still be saved after what you said, thought, did. Or when you in your, in your own heart through guilt, you feel like, maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's true. Maybe I'm the exception. When that happens, when either of those things happen, 
Resist that, fight that through the very power of the Spirit of God that you have if you are in Christ, knowing that your security in salvation is not tied to anyone or anything other than the very Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, then the very Spirit of God who did that, who lives in you, is powerful enough to keep you raised and secure as well. And here's, here's what our anchor is to that, that hope that we have. Here's, here's what it's anchored to. The reason we can have that hope and the reason we can have that reality, it's all anchored to this fact. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Ephesians 1, 13 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. When Paul was writing this, he had in mind what was a common practice, which is that Anything belonging to the empire, anything belonging to Rome, mighty Rome, anything that was under the emperor's ownership had his seal, had the emperor's seal placed on it. Didn't matter what it was. Big, small, in between, didn't matter. And any time that seal was fixed, whether it was a document, a, a, a thing of supplies, uh, a building, didn't matter. Any time that imperial seal was fixed, everyone knew You didn't mess with it. You didn't touch it. There was no question of who owned it. It wasn't up for debate. It was an absolute established fact. And no one did mess with anything like that because they knew the consequence. They knew that the full might and power of Rome would come crushing down on whoever violated that property. And so it kept all of that secure because it was under the seal of the emperor. My friends, beloved, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have the seal of the king of the entire universe, the God over all creation, the keeper of eternity. You have his seal over your life. And there is nothing that anyone, not even Satan himself, can do to violate or change that seal. And he is the absolute guarantee here and now of all that is to come and all that awaits you. Let's pray. Before I lead us in prayer, I I need to stress this, this fact, just bring us all full circle to remember this, that all of this great promise and all of this, this powerful truth that you've heard, not, not my truth, God's truth, his word that I've just tried to communicate to you today, all of this incredible reality that I've described and that we've looked at together, it's only possible, it's only available in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only going to be able to to be something you step into and experience. It's only going to be able to be your reality if you surrender your life to Jesus. If you say to him, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you are everything the Bible has said about you, that you are the very Son of God. 
that you came to this earth in the flesh and that you went to the cross, a very real cross, and you died. And by dying on that cross, you took all of my sin and all of my shame and all of my rebellion on yourself. And you put it to death there on the cross as you died. And I believe, Jesus, that you came back to life. I believe that Easter is real. I believe you didn't stay dead. And I believe you rose from the dead. And, and by rising from the grave and by rising from the dead, you give me life and new life, eternal life. You allow me to be raised from the death of sin. And I want you to be that for me. I want you to be my resurrection. I want you to be my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the Savior of my life. Jesus, I give you myself. When you do that, the Bible is very clear that all that we have been describing here today, and even last week as we started the series, is yours. That you are in Christ at that moment. And by being in Christ, you have the very Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of life. And He will raise you with Him and seat you with Christ in the heavenlies. He will free you from all fear, from all judgment. And he will give you the security of your salvation. It's all possible. It's all available, but it's only through Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus today? If there's anyone that would say, that's, that's me, I have need of that. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Please let me know just by slipping up your hand. I don't want to call you up here and parade you around in front of everybody, but I do want to pray for you. Is there anyone who would say, I need Jesus, I need that salvation, I want that life? Anyone at all? Okay, then believer, I hope, I hope you have been stirred in your heart today as you've been reminded of the great salvation you have through the great Spirit of God who gives you that salvation. Please be be excited about it. Be encouraged by it. But more than that, go out and share it and proclaim it to a lost and a dying world. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the reality of it, the power of it. I thank you for your spirit, the spirit of life, the spirit of freedom, the spirit of salvation. Oh, Father, by that spirit, help us to live our lives for you, not for ourselves, in response to all you have done for us and made possible. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.